Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore again. That is again at No Huddle NFL, no capitals, no spaces with an underscore at the end. And today I actually have a very special guest from the TikTok account, Zach Talks Football, someone who hasn't been posting as much recently, but I was very lucky to have him on today. How about you go ahead and introduce yourself, Zach? Hey, how's it going? I'm very happy to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Zach. I run the account Zach Talks on TikTok. I also have a uh, Twitter and an Instagram, which I'm getting fired back up again. I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus, but I'm starting to roll back slowly into regular posting again. And that's perfectly fine. More power to you for doing what I really don't have the courage to do. When in all honesty, with how much school I have, I'm on a football team too. I probably should get my priorities straight and do something like that. Oh yeah. I feel you, man. Like I have the reason I've been taking such a decent break lately is because I've got a lot of classes that I'm dealing with lately and just life in general. Well, Zach, let me tell you this. I don't know if you remember this, but late last year or around midway through last year, you made a fake hypothetical team, a roster of football players made only of TikTok accounts. Do you remember who the center was on that team? Oh, okay. Um, wasn't it the Detroit Lions? Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about it was a – you made it all out of TikTokers. You made the entire team out of TikTokers. I know, and I used the Detroit Lions account as one player for one of them. It, it was not the center. Okay, who was it? It was me. While. It was you? Yep. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, man. <laughs> God, uh, yeah. Too long. Yeah. No, it, it was a it was a while ago. I still have that video favorited. That's actually uh, part of the reason. I, at first, I didn't even think about reaching out to you. I honestly didn't expect you to respond. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest because, like you said, with the hiatus and everything, I didn't know if you were too busy for this. So again, I'm really glad to have you on. But then I remembered I saw that a while ago. I have it like in my favorited videos, and I was like, oh yeah, you know what? There is at least somewhat of a connection here. Maybe he'll at least remember the name, no huddle NFL a little bit from the team and then be like, you know what? Maybe I'll put some time aside for you. Yeah, I recognize the name immediately. And that's why I responded as fast as I did. Dude, you just, that makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the podcast, NFL week seven, just finished, right? The season has been really, really surprising in terms of what some of the good teams are and what some of the bad teams are. And before I get into the first segment, which you know what it's going to be, the listeners don't, I just want to talk about something that kind of leads into it. We are like officially at the point where the older quarterbacks are on the decline, right? These guys, Matt Ryan, who we're going to talk about, is one example. He's getting benched all of a sudden. Russell Wilson, a quarterback that has had such a dominant decade, is now all of a sudden looking like a very bad quarterback, for lack of a better (laughs) term. And 
Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, two players that for basically my entire life have dominated the NFL, without a doubt are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers, they're not looking too hot either. And we're seeing the younger quarterbacks, some quarterbacks we already knew were very good, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, Justin Herbert hasn't been too hot, but Joe Burrow. And then we're seeing the other young quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, for example, come onto the scene. What do you think of this entire turnover? And Do you think that these older guys are officially like at the end of their career as a dominant quarterback? Well, we've seen this so many times over. We've seen it with Eli Manning, with Drew Brees, with Ben Roethlisberger. It's just time is starting to catch up with these guys a little bit. The quarterbacks that you mentioned before, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady, they're very resilient and they're very tough quarterbacks in themselves. But we're coming to an age where, first of all, defenses are changing and getting significantly better as compared to the recent years, which is leading to a lot less points being scored in the traditional fashion. We also have a lot of different factors, such as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have not been healthy in any means. Tom Brady has, I think, a fifth of the line that he used to have. His top receivers are in and out constantly. Aaron Rodgers is in the same situation where he doesn't have a primary wide receiver. He's not used to distributing the ball. And Matt Ryan's offensive line has been ranked the worst of the NFL as of PFF as of a couple hours ago, I think. So... It's a bunch of different factors, but you can't put these aging quarterbacks in a situation to fail like they are right now. And the reality is these guys like Aaron Rodgers, like Tom Brady, they're not good enough anymore to be able to carry a offense that isn't absolutely loaded. It's funny that I'm saying this in the room that I'm saying this because I'm right near a poster for the Buccaneers when they won the Super Bowl just a year or two ago. And it shows the the players that were on that team, of course, Tom Brady. And then you look at the other players, even on the defensive side of the ball. So Keel Barrett was an absolute monster that that year. Devin White, Levante David, JPP actually had a pretty good season. And then on the offensive side of the ball, to say he didn't have help, I mean, you would have to be insane. He he had everyone he wanted. Yeah, exactly. He had Gronk, his favorite target of all time, I, or at least I imagine his favorite target of all time. Yep. Then Godwin, Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones. Let's not forget about him. And of, like you said, that offensive line, now look at this year. Mike Evans is still there. Godwin, he came back from the injury, but he, he's not he was same. gone for a while. And like you said, he's not the same. Even his head coach, Bruce Arians, and maybe you don't want to give him too much credit for that run, and I don't blame you if you don't, but I'd rather have him than Bulls. I'll give Arians the credit because we've seen time and time again where Arians has been able to work with the offense, not even just being the direct offensive coordinator because Brady had a lot of say in the offense as well, but Bulls thrives best when he can focus solely on the defense. We've seen this with the Jets. We've seen this with... Well, we're seeing this with the Buccaneers right now, where Todd Bowles' defense, phenomenal. Top 10, top 5 in the NFL. Him as a head coach, monitoring both the defense and trying to maintain a full awareness of the entire game, he he just historically has not been able to handle that kind of situation. And I talk about this all the time. There's a lot of guys in the league that are just coordinators. They they just simply can't be a head coach. And 
there's plenty of examples. I, I think one of the best ones is the current head coach of the Colts right now, Frank Reich, <laughs> who I think has established himself very well as a good offensive coordinator, but I it doesn't seem like he's a good head coach. And that's why they're doing what they're doing now, benching Matt Ryan for former six-round pick Sam Ellinger. What do you think of this entire situation? I think it might be the correct move as of right now. First of all, Matt Ryan is hurt, so it came at the opportunistic time. But I'm not entirely sure this is all Reich's idea because uh, Jim Mercer, the owner of the Colts, he has a very heavy hand in what goes on with the Colts organization. If I was Frank Reich, and I know he really likes this quarterback, he would have started Nick Foles. So it's in my opinion that potentially the owner got a little involved in saying, hey, let's start the new kid, see if we can get some life into this team. Because he might be the future, he might not be, but he has, whenever he's on the field, the fans go crazy over him. I mean, I, I was just about to ask that exact thing. Why Ellinger and not Foles? And, I mean, you said it. It's most likely because of the age. It's most likely because Ellinger is a young quarterback that could give the team a spark. An absolute wild card. Meanwhile, Nick Foles, we know what he is. He's a career journeyman backup. And I think you said that very well. What do you expect from Ellinger here? I'm expecting a similar style offense is going to be run that they had with Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. It's a quarterback that you don't have high expectations for. So you're going to try to make the offense work around him instead of making the quarterback work the offense. Cause you're not paying the guy anything. You don't have high expectations of him. So they're going to run the ball a lot more, a lot of quick passes, short passes to Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, and they're going to bring in a lot more heavy tight end sets, which would really work well with the kind of offense that they used to run with Carson Wentz. Um, I I don't see him being a top 10 or top 15 quarterback. I see him being more as just a guy that can scramble, which is really needed with his offensive line right now. And a guy that can do what he needs to do, but not overachieve. Now, I think it's important to mention the Colts are currently 3-3-1, three, three and one, literally the exact definition of mid. <laughs> and I'm curious what you think. Do you think that Ryan, if they were to try and if we're if we were 100 percent positive that the Colts number one objective, right, was in a vacuum to just win this year, do you think they would still be starting Ryan if Ryan wasn't hurt? In terms of just success for this season, not success for like multiple seasons on, because clearly that's why they're going with Ellinger over Foles. Do you think if the Colts were just trying to succeed this year and this year only, they would stick with Ryan? Do you think they would go with Foles? Do you think they would still go Ellinger? That's that's a relatively tough question, but you got to consider it with this. Matt Ryan is in the bottom five of every statistical category right now, except for passing yards, which he is in top five right now due to garbage time at this point. Honestly, if I'm looking to succeed overall as the Colts, I would throw Ryan back in when he's healthy and you have more of an established offense because the Colts are a mess right now. The offense is trying to pass as much as they can because they have this high rise, uh, high money quarterback. That's been very talented and very resourceful at Atlanta for how many many years. So they tried to orient the offense around Matt Ryan. 
if they can reorganize the offense, focus more around the run, focus more around the tight ends, refortify the defense, because the defense has not been looking great. If you can focus more on the small things and not having the quarterback be the centerpiece, I think if you put Matt Ryan back into that offense, it'll be a lot easier down the run if they are looking to succeed this year. So the question is now, now that you said that, why is it that the Colts kind of have been trying to throw the ball as much as they have? Now, obviously, JT getting hurt, that definitely didn't help them. But I look at it, and at least I look at what everyone was saying when Matt Ryan first got traded to the Colts. Everyone was talking about, oh, Matt Ryan being absolutely perfect as a game manager on a run-heavy offense. Why is it that you think that that didn't work? I think that they tried to make an offense that fit both Matt Ryan and the idea that they're paying Matt Ryan this much, so they're going to have to pay the guy. It's the same concept with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. When Dak Prescott is on that field, they're going to try to be passing as much as they possibly can because they know they can. They have a great, they have a guy that can pass, so they will pass. The defense is letting up a lot of points, so they're being required to pass more, unfortunately, which is also a big factor into it. But I'd say because they have a guy that can pass, they're trying to pass a lot more. And again, JT being hurt, that definitely doesn't help them. I'm really interested in seeing what happens when JT comes back, because early in the year when Taylor was healthy, it still wasn't working well. At least that running game wasn't. And part of it is on the offensive line, definitely. And, in fact, most of it is. Yeah, the offensive line is missing, I think, their center and their right tackle, possibly their left tackle. I don't, I'm not entirely sure on the current status of the offensive line. But that, that offensive line is an absolute mess, and they have not been doing the best they can to try to rebuild and reorganize it. Well, they've been trying to rotate new guys in, like Bernard Ryman, uh, who is a rookie, I believe, fourth-round pick. Yeah, yeah, fourth. Uh, but, yeah, the Colts, very interesting team. I'm really interested in seeing how Ellinger looks in this upcoming game. But now let's move over to our Week 7 takeaways. I always do a segment on this show called my rapid-fire takeaways, where I go over every game and – try and get out a quick takeaway but since I have you on I want to take a little bit more time and kind of analyze the game a little bit more let's start with the Thursday night football game the Saints against the Cardinals what would you say is one major takeaway from this game and why is it that you think that if Aaron, if a, uh, Andy Dalton did not throw those two pick sixes the Saints would have completely won that game oh that's completely fair I mean the momentum shift was extremely blatant at the time, I, I think without a doubt, the Saints win that game if Andy Dalton doesn't throw those two pick sixes. Because, again, we all know football is a momentum sport, right? Sure. And there's some people with the conspiracy theory, oh, momentum isn't real. They're wrong. It's really just that simple. And this game was another perfect example of just how much momentum can affect a team. The Cardinals get those two pick sixes and they go out in the second half and absolutely put the dagger in the throat of the Saints and just finish the game off, right? That That's exactly what it looked like. The thing that the Cardinals did, especially to win this game more than anything, was that they just ran the ball and killed as much as clock as they could in that third and fourth quarter. Because the Cardinals' offensive passive game right now 
has been very stagnant. It's been very hard for the Cardinals to generate consistent offensive play on both the passing game and the running game. So once they only had to just run the ball and kill the clock, it, it killed the Saints. They had to take Taysom Hill out, who was a big factor in that first half. They had to stop relying on Kamara as much, and they just had to keep passing every down because there was no way to try to make up that lost point. So I find it interesting you mentioned the Cardinals passing game because my takeaway is actually directly related to that. My takeaway from this game is that D-Hop, DeAndre Hopkins, is going to be far and away the main player for this Cardinals offense. And like you said, they've struggled to find consistency in this passing game. Even though Marquise Brown is out, I'm expecting the passing game to be even better than the Cardinals passing game we've seen all year because DeAndre Hopkins is back. He was targeted on 14 of Kyler Murray's 29 pass attempts in his first game back. That is yep. nearly a 50% target share. That is absolutely insane. That is insane, but I would also give a little warning to anyone who's like, D-Hop's going to be a top-five receiver. I, I want to see him going against legitimate corners instead of the Saints' two backup corners that were in play because D-Hop had a fantastic matchup that night, and the cornerbacks let him catch pretty much every ball that he had opportunity to. So I want to see him play a decent secondary, and hopefully we get that uh, this week. That's fair. I- I'm mainly talking about the opportunity share here that yeah. he got. But, yeah, absolutely. We're yet to see DeAndre Hopkins against a real secondary that's fully healthy. That's a very fair point. Uh, Lions at Cowboys. What was your main takeaway here? Uh, Cowboys defense is the real deal. It's carrying that team more than anything. And the Lions are back to their old ways, struggling to generate anything on offense, and their defense can't stop a toddler team. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. For sure, right? I-, I think the Cowboys' defense being this good, that became pretty clear a week. Uh, I-, I feel like about three weeks ago, that became very clear to the NFL, right? Yep. Uh, and that's absolutely the strength of this Cowboys team. I-, I think if you were to rank every team in the league right now, I think you got – the untouchable three, right? You got the Eagles, you got the Bills, and you got the Chiefs. And then outside of those three, there's a lot of teams you could throw in there. I put I put the Cowboys forward just because of this defense alone. This is the best defense in the NFL. At least I believe so. I can understand if you say Bills, but it's between those two. This defense is tremendous. And what you said about Detroit going back to their old ways, that's pretty much what my takeaway was. Detroit offense cannot overcome the injuries to Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift. And that's part of the reason that Detroit is back to their old ways of not being able to do anything offensively because their star offensive players, Amon Ross St. Brown, who was absolutely lighting it up early in the year, and DeAndre Swift, who is a very important role player for this team, both of which are out. That hurts them a lot. Yeah, that and plus the fact that Jameson Williams' return has been delayed another month does not help that entire situation either. And how do, how do we expect Williams to play after an ACL tear? Now, I get it, modern technology, all that stuff, but an ACL tear isn't just an injury that you come back from, all right? Jamison Williams was an absolute freak of nature in college. Don't get me wrong. One of the best wide receiver prospects I've seen in a very long time. But then that ACL tear happened. It's hard for me to say with full confidence that Jameson Williams can come back and look like 
even 70% of the player he was at Alabama. I'd say it takes some time. They're going to try rolling back near the end of the season at this point, which they'll get some test runs in with him. They're not going to put him in any other massively stressful situations. And they're going to see if they can focus the wide receiver core more around him and Amon Ra on either side, somewhat like a Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle kind of situation. Because I I don't think the injury is going to hinder him that much. He's still going to be a fast receiver. You can't take down speed that fast. You just got to make sure that his recovery is exact and his recovery is full. I mean, look at J.K. Dobbins right now and how he's been reacting to coming back too early or Chris Godwin coming back way too early and they just re-injure themselves. Yeah, no, ACL tears have always been like the big thorn in the side of NFL teams, right? Whenever a player gets an ACL tear, there's so much uncertainty in terms of how the rest of that player's career is going to go. Even a player that wasn't even drafted when they got the ACL tear. We still don't know how Jameson Williams' career is going to play out. Not only because he's a rookie that we haven't seen in the NFL, obviously, but that ACL tear makes it so we all have no idea if he's going to come back and be even close to what he was at Alabama. Yep. So let's move over to the Buccaneers at Panthers. Probably the biggest upset of the season. Is it crazy for me to say that? I I think that's about accurate now. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So my big takeaway here, and I imagine you're going to say something along the same lines. The Buccaneers look uninspired and terribly coached. I can't really blame them for being uninspired considering that their team leader is occasionally missing practices for quote-unquote personal reasons. And he nearly retired and then came back. Like, that that doesn't just happen. When something like that happens with the leader of the team, right, they just retire and then come back. If you're a player on that roster, you feel almost insulted that your quote-unquote team leader, right, and I'm going to keep saying that phrase because that's what people see him as. He's the leader of this Buccaneers team. They don't have a head coach that everyone loves, right? Dabble was – sorry, I said Dabble – Bowles is the head coach because they didn't have anyone else and it was already decently far into the offseason. So they kind of just settled for whatever coordinator on the roster. That's why Bowles is the coach. And when you have a coach like that, that's really just there because someone needs to be there. They look at the biggest veteran on the team. Who are you going to look at other than the greatest quarterback of all time? So when he looks uncommitted and, Let's be honest, looking at some of the decisions he, he's made, especially the one before the Steelers game, it's very easy to say that Brady can't really make that commitment anymore. If he can't make the commitment, why should the other guys? I think the entire team, the entire team, which is, again, uh, still a very talented roster, I think the reason they're underperforming so much is because lack of commitment. I think it's all the mental stuff and not like – mental issues oh they're doing the wrong thing on the play no not that it's their mindset and I think that that's because Brady's mindset isn't the same as it usually is I'd say that it's a combination of they're not as motivated as they used to be because first of all the entire team seems to be falling apart and a lot of things aren't going their way And also, I'd say probably one of the biggest factors to this Panther game, though, was 
as we mentioned before, momentum. If Mike Evans catches that touchdown pass, the, the first, like one of the first passing plays of the game, if he catches that one deep touchdown pass, I, I could see the Buccaneers running away with it. But in this situation here, we've got a very injury-riddled Buccaneers team where one of the top receivers are Russell Gage because Godwin, he's been okay. Mike Evans, he's been the only star on the team. Fournette has been receding a little bit and giving more to Rashad White. The offensive line has been very mediocre. And Todd Bowles, he's he's trying his best, but we can't He's not very good at managing both the play clock, the offense, and the defense at the exact same time. I mean, I I think it's clear Bulls shouldn't be the head coach. I I think the reason they went Bulls was because, again, they couldn't do anyone else other than Leftwich. The reason they went Bulls was because it was what Arians wanted. Arians wanted to leave knowing that Todd Bulls would be the head coach because he wanted to keep his own guys in the system. And that's why Arians is still like an assistant. Like he's still he's still the in the organization. I'm aware. Yeah, he's more of an advisor at this point. But it's Bulls team now because Arians wanted to make sure it was in good hands. Mm. I I think it's clear those quote unquote good hands are not overly good. I I think that I keep saying dabble. I th- I think it's clear Bulls is not head coaching material. I think it's been clear. And he shouldn't yeah. have got the second shot. And I, I think the main reason that this team is underperforming, and I no injuries, but still, they have depth. Like, Russell Gage, let's say that he was their second-best receiver, right? And they have got one, but let's say that Gage was their second-best receiver. That's a pretty good second receiver. Gage is a good player. Let's not act like, oh, Russell Gage is out there. It's, oh, Russell Gage is out there? That's a really good second-wide receiver. Mike Evans is a star. That offensive line, sure. Okay, I get that. That They have a solid running back room, Rashad White and Fournette. And then defensively, they have some talent there too. There's no reason for them to be losing games to the Panthers. No. But I do have to give credit to the Panthers too. They they put together a really great offensive scheme against a defense that just could not stop the run today, well, this week, which is very uncharacteristic of the Buccaneers in general. Oh, that, that's for sure. We saw DJ Moore go off, which I know my fantasy fans are very happy right now about that. Um, Chuba Hubbard and Dante Foreman both had a great game. And PJ Walker surprised the world and was able to actually, like, he was doing the Sam Ellinger, he was doing the Cooper Rush. Don't be the superstar. Be the game manager that kind of just makes sure the ship doesn't go crashing down. And no, I, I'm glad that McAdoo, who I still think should not have a offensive coordinator job in the current league, at least. I'm glad they finally let him throw the ball past the line of scrimmage, as opposed to last week, where what the hell was that? They just they had no confidence in PJ Walker. It was insane. Uh, he was just getting it to the best guy they had, Christian McCaffrey. Didn't work. The big difference no. is this week. It's almost like when you have your quarterback throw it past the line of scrimmage, it's way harder to guard that as a defense. But maybe that's just me. I, I don't know. Let's move over to the Titans-Colts game in okay. Indianapolis. We talked about the Colts earlier. Uh, but I want to look at this more from the Titans' perspective. But if your takeaway is about the Colts, feel free to say it now. 
no, the Titans, I've been very happy with how the Titans have been producing lately. My thing is, though, that Ryan Tannehill has not been playing the same as he used to be, and that is okay for now. But the biggest mistake that the Titans could have possibly made was trading A.J. Brown and trying to jam a A.J. Brown-sized receiver into his spot. Because ever since they did that, the passing game has been little to none. I mean, Robert Woods has been probably the primary receiver besides Austin Hooper, which that's not a necessarily good thing. They have Derrick Henry, who they've been pretty much just funneling the entire offense through. But you can't sustain that throughout the entire season. And we've seen that. They're 4-2. and two. Those two games were where Derrick Henry was not able to produce. Now, I, my takeaway is, like, exactly the same thing, really. I put Henry is really the only player on that offense that has been somewhat competent. Tannehill only had 13 completions for 132 yards, and this is the fourth time this season he finished with below 200 yards. This is week seven. That's really bad. And, you know, it would be one thing if they were winning games. But the Colts aren't a very good team. They beat them. Sure, good for them. But it was an ugly win. It was a really ugly win against a team that is, again, not very good. They only had 17 points. I believe 17, right? 17 points against a Colts defense that, like we said earlier, safety as well. 19. Thank you very much. 19 points against a Colts defense that isn't very good. And, you know, they have Derrick Henry. That's great. It's very good that they have a running back that can bail them out constantly. And because of that, they don't need to throw the ball that well, but they need to be able to throw it better than this. 132 yards, you're not going to be able to win in the playoffs like that. And the fact that one of these two teams are probably going to make it to the playoffs with home field advantage, I mean, what has the league came to, man? Yeah, uh but there's no real solving this issue, though, unless if they can get what's-his-face to the guy that they draft. I'm blanking on his name. Right Traylon now. Burks. Traylon Burks. Unless if they can get him to his expectation. But coming into the season, he was like wide receiver three or four coming onto that offensive roster. He has not been producing to the effect that they want him to, which was to replace a superstar. And unless they can get a wide receiver that is capable of being the guy, because Robert Woods, he's not that guy. Absolutely not. Austin Hooper, he was a great management guy. Like, he was a great garbage time tight end for Matt Ryan back on the Falcons when the passing offense was superior. But he can't be the primary focus. I mean, who else do the freaking uh, – who else do they have? You got Nick Westbrook, if that's a name that flatters you. I mean, you're saying it perfectly. This Titans wide receiver room and just the overall weapons they have for Tannehill and really everyone except for Derrick Henry, there is nothing to work with, nothing to scheme around. Nope. Robert Woods, he's a veteran player. Cool. That's great. He's proven. He's established himself as a weapon that can be utilized well in the league. But he's also coming off an ACL tear or at least he was coming off an ACL tear going into the season. And it's clear that ACL tear 
bothers him a lot or bothered him a lot. Now he's no longer at the physical state where he can be this dominant or not even dominant, but he can't even really be a role player anymore or not a great role player. If they were really expecting Robert Woods to be like a legit number one receiver for them, that's a problem. And Traylon Burks, yeah, he's a first-round pick, but I I knew he was a one-trick pony in college. He was. He was a good 50-50 ball guy, and he was good after the catch. But other than that, he he can't run good routes, can't get separation, and every team needs someone that can get separation. If you don't have someone like that, especially when you have a quarterback like Tannehill that doesn't really like to throw contested balls often, you're screwed. And that's what we're seeing here. I will say Robert Woods has probably been one of the best, like, complimentary wide receivers I've ever seen because in every offense he's in, if he's the wide receiver too, he will be probably one of the best producing wide receivers you see. He did it with Brandon Cooks on that Rams offense. He did it with Cooper Cup on that Rams offense. He, he just needs someone to balance it out so he can get the availability that he needs. He's like a Tyler Lockett to a DK Metcalf. That's very fair, or at least that's what he used to be. But again, with the ACL tear, I, I think it's clear he's not that anymore. Even He's not even that anymore. He'd be a good three, but they don't even have the one or the two. They don't. That's the problem they have here. And Burks just hasn't lived up to the hype that, at least I didn't have any hype around him, but there were people hyping it up. And at least at the moment, they have all been proven wrong. He has been very bad when he actually does get opportunities, and there's a reason he doesn't get many. Let's move over to the Ravens at Browns. A game that was receiving decent hype, but a lot of people forget how close this game was because oh we're talking this, about the ref ball. Hurt. This one hurts a little bit, man. <laughs> we're talking about the ref ball first, or yeah, we could talk about the ref ball. Okay, well, I, I, I mean, you started up, man. I, I don't want to. I normally try and avoid stirring the refs are bad pot, but how could you not with this one? As a Browns fan, I was livid and I was. I've watched that video time and time and time and time again, looking for the player that jumped. They, they <laughs> say it was the right guard off the long snapper, which, like, a pixel shifts. At that point. <laughs> I've heard long snapper. That that's been my most common answer when I hear it. But even that's insane. But in a game where the Browns had a legitimate shot with a kicker who could normally hit that kick. And then all of a sudden, hey, we think someone moved. The Ravens defensive line was confused. They thought the penalty was on them because no one on the Browns moved. <laughs> But I, I, as a Browns fan, I've seen my team get screwed over by the smallest, most, like, you need a magnifying glass to see some of the shit that these refs have seen specifically against the Browns. I'm used to it, but it, I still, it kills me every time. Yeah, no, the, the officiating was terrible, especially late in that game. I, I can't, there's no argument against it it's amazing how many times in like recent history there have been bad calls and there's not a single person defending it now i'm not a big like nba guy i don't follow other sports but i don't think it's this common in other sports is it 
At least uh, not, not as far as I'm aware. Because it seems like almost every week there's something like this. Monumental plays like this. Not necessarily. I mean, soccer has a lot of uh, maintenance with him, and you got the flopping, of course, but you can't really stop that. You can't really tell one way or another. Basketball is pretty monitored. Hockey, you got a lot of checks and balances with that kind of system. Golf, if there's a ref in golf, I would be surprised. <laughs> All right, but let's talk about the actual game here. Yeah. And, yeah, the Browns were screwed over in this game, for sure. For sure. You're not going to hear a single person doubt that at all. Even yeah. Ravens fans, I imagine, know that they were lucky to escape this game without at least it going into overtime. So my takeaway here, I put that the Ravens secondary continues to underperform, which has kind of been a story this whole offseason or this entire season. In the offseason, that, off, that defense, especially the secondary, looked Phenomenal, right? I, I mean, they brought in a lot of guys. They had a good draft. Marcus Jones. They, no, not Marcus Jones. Uh, Marcus Williams. Thank you. Thank Marcus you. Williams was the safety. But they also drafted someone. Marcus Jones was the rookie that the Patriots drafted. Armour Davis. Jalen Armour Davis. There you go. That's the okay. name. He was a rookie. They drafted him. Very very talented player. They haven't really used him at all, though. Marcus Williams, like you said, very good safety. He's injured. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, they drafted him, too. A player I'm not as high on as others, but I think he's a very nice role player to have. I think he's a good luxury pick, and that's what they. That's why they drafted him. They had such a stacked roster. They might as well go with the most useful you know, luxury player here. And that's exactly what um, Marcus Williams, sorry, not Marcus Williams. That's exactly what Kyle Hamilton is, right? He's a, he's a very good role player. That's, you know, super versatile, but we haven't really seen much of that this season. We haven't, we haven't really seen much of him this season. Then Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Williams, they're not performing up to par. And they also brought in Kyle Fuller who hasn't done much either. The, the entire Ravens secondary as a unit, has been underperforming because they have so many big names that are just disappointing. And this was just another example of that, this game, where Jacoby Brissett seemed to be looking like prime Tom Brady behind it. It, it was insane. Yeah, you have pretty much said why I've been thinking about the Ravens' defense this entire time because they're not playing nearly the same defense as they did even last year, but – the Ravens have always been centralized around having a fantastic defense. You look back at Ed Reed, you look back at Ray Lewis. This is not the same defense that they've always had. And I can attribute a large part of it is they've got a new defensive coordinator who doesn't know exactly how to run the system well right now. Don Martindale, who's now on the Giants, doing a phenomenal job, by the way. Amazing. But he was a great defensive coordinator for the Ravens because he was able to at least keep the boat steady with what they have even though they lost half their secondary last year. They got a brand new secondary, a lot of new pieces that don't really have a definite spot yet, which is making it hard. That's probably the hardest thing for a defense to do or an offense. So the fact that the Ravens haven't solidified a defense is scary, especially since Calais Campbell just uh, was announced that he would be out earlier this morning. So he's not going to be in this week. So that's going to put a big damper on that defensive pass rush. 
which also hasn't been overly special. I, I mean, they had a draft that I loved, right? I, I adored the Ravens draft class. None yeah. of these rookies have left their mark. Even on the offensive side of the ball, Linderbaum hasn't been, or at least I don't think he's been overly special. Maybe I'm wrong there. He but, hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been fantastic. Yeah, I'm not going to act like he was terrible, but I, he hasn't been like, oh my God, this center is the best offensive lineman in the draft class. Like some people are hyping out to be. Yeah, he's not Creed Humphrey from last year. Oh, for sure. For sure. And the difference is Creed Humphrey wasn't a first-round pick. Yeah. The Ravens, I, I, again, I don't love Kyle Hamilton, but I think he is a very good role player to have. I haven't seen him play that role. And then Travis Jones was a defensive tackle that I really liked. He hasn't uh, done much. Get out of UConn, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was really happy to see him go there. <laughs> uh, he hasn't done much either. Then Ojabo, yeah, he's coming off an injury. Maybe we'll see him some point this year, but as of right now, no show. I'm pretty. Is he still on their injury report? Uh, I do not know off the top of my head. I know uh, he hasn't got much playing time if he has been healthy, but point is, he's been somewhat irrelevant. Then, like I said, was a player that I really liked. He has. They had such a good draft class with so many talented players, and not a single one has been an impact player for them. Yeah. Now let's move over to the Packers at Washington. Another one of the big upsets of the week. <laughs> so I'm not even going to say what's your takeaway here. What's your knock on the Packers here? An uh, experience and a lack of identity at this point. Because they had a great, they have a great running back duo but they're not running the ball. Why aren't they running the ball? Because they're trying to establish a chemistry with the pass game. Why can't they establish a chemistry with the pass game? Because Aaron Rodgers likes to have a primary focus and a bunch of smaller other targets he can dump off to. He's not able to find that primary focus right now. Not to mention these Packers wide receivers aren't performing up to the standard that they are required to be to be on this offense either. So it's just a mismanaged tire fire of an offense right now. Now let's talk about that defense that every single person was talking about. Oh, oh yeah, they have a bunch of players. Rashawn Gary, uh, their cornerbacks, Rasul Douglas. You know, this is a really good defensive unit. Wh- where is it? Where is it? I, I completely fail to see it. I-, I heard so much hype about this Packers defense, and I-, I haven't seen a single impressive performance from them so far this season. I will give the defensive line credit. The defensive line has been actually performing decently well. They've been getting a decent amount of pressure. It's the secondary. Jair Alexander let Taylor Heineke drop a bomb to freaking Terry McLaurin. You can't let that happen. You can't let that happen. This Packers secondary is letting up very big holes in the middle, trying to run a, a uh, two deep, which – Every defense is trying to run that right now. But the Packers' defense isn't holding up in the secondary, and that's making the defensive line have to work twice as hard to get half the uh, half the production. Uh, I think everything you've said so far is just a detailed reason as to why I'm going to say this exact statement right here. 
the Packers aren't just not contenders. They're legitimately a below-average football team. I would go as far to say that. This isn't like they lost to the Bills or the Chiefs or even the Ravens, right? They lost, they lost to Washington. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers said it himself on the Pat McAfee podcast that Washington didn't do anything special. They rushed four guys. They dropped everyone else back. And the Packers' offense wasn't able to compete. And the Packers' defense wasn't able to contain Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson, of all people. That running game hasn't been overly good, so the fact that they can't stop that is exactly – I mean, as much as I hate Aaron Rodgers, right? Uh, Aaron Rodgers has established himself over the past, like, two years as my least favorite player in the entire NFL. (laughs) And I don't like that he's publicly, like, disrespecting his team because that's kind of what that is. He is right here. The team, not just him, is being extremely disappointing to everyone. At the same time, though, right? Rodgers, you were back-to-back MVP. Where's that value now? You're supposed a Hall of Fame quarterback who, you know, wants to have full control over what players get signed and which ones don't. Which players get traded, right? A quarterback as good as him, or as good as he claims to be, and he he is that good fun. Why is he being so passive? Why is he... Now, I know he he took a couple of deep shots, but when you see, like, the top quarterbacks in the league, they don't just take shots, you know, to take a shot, and now they could say, oh, we, we were aggressive, I did everything I can. No. These quarterbacks, they will, it could be second and 10, right? Most teams would try and get like a six-yard gain. No, they'll make a play because that's what these playmakers do. That's what these quarterbacks, even when they're not in the most talented offense, they'll make the play for their team. Aaron Rodgers doesn't do that. Not anymore, at least. Or not as much as I would like to see. Aaron Rodgers is too passive now. That's my overall point. He'll take a shot downfield now and then. Okay, he will. But he doesn't do it enough, and he doesn't do it at times that the elite quarterbacks would do it because they're confident. He does it when it's safe, and he does it. So he could say, oh, I was aggressive. Our offense is aggressive. We're not just a one-dimensional offense that will repeatedly check the ball down. Aaron Rodgers doesn't – when was the last time that you've seen, like, one of those tight window Aaron Rodgers throws, right? Because when you have receivers that aren't overly good, which the Packers receiver core isn't overly good. The quarterback has to make plays for the receivers because the receivers won't get much separation. Aaron Rodgers has to throw the receivers open. Aaron Rodgers has to throw the ball into the tight window because the receivers can't get separation. I don't see him do that enough. No. no like, and- that's and- why they haven't had much like playoff success because they get away with, oh, uh, we're going to constantly – throw it to the open guy. What about when the guy's not open? That's when the MVP, quote-unquote, is supposed to make a play, and he doesn't do that enough. Yeah. That, that, that Packers organization has just been a general mess. I mean, I'm, I'm happy they're finally starting to draft decently, 
compared to past years. But with, with the roster they have now, Aaron Rodgers should be able to at least – they need to change the offensive style up first and foremost. They need to run a lot more short, quick passes to the sides and slants down the middle and focus more on the run game. They've barely used A.J. Dillon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they drafted this guy and then just paid Aaron Jones a shit ton. Like, I'm not going to act like it's all Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of mistakes here. But my point is Aaron Rodgers is an MVP quarterback. He has to do a better job making the best out of a situation that isn't overly good. Yeah. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. They should establish an identity. Uh, and, you know, it, we're going into week eight. Like, by now, they should have established something. They have something with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. They should utilize both of them better. We saw Aaron Jones do a lot, especially in the receiving game last week. Yeah. And that that's a good sign. There are good signs here. Can LaFleur put it together, though? This is the worst season that LaFleur has had as a head coach, and I don't think anyone would debate otherwise, correct? Oh, yeah. It's his worst season, but like I mentioned before, it's also because – the defenses have all changed. Like there's been a monumental shift in defensive scheming this past season compared to last seasons, where they are trying to eliminate the pass as much as possible. And Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur can't comprehend that at this point. That seems very clear. Again, the the <laughs> establish it the establishment of the uh frequency at which defenses are using this too deep shell. And, you know, cover two, stuff like that. Teams are really trying to eliminate the pass, just like you're saying. And that's more of a reason that they should be trying to run the ball more with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I'm not going to disagree with you there at all. Like, you're very correct there. They need to establish an identity. Very clear. Now, let's talk about the Cinderella team, the Giants, who have just surprised everyone in their game against the Jaguars. What was your major takeaway here? Those Giants are scrappy, man. I'm, I'm terrified of that passing game because not one receiver has more than 200 receiving yards so far this season. But Saquon and Daniel Jones are working for that contract, and Brian Dable, he is the front runner by a mile for Coach of the Year. Absolutely. I mean, scrappy is the perfect way to describe them. One thing's for sure, right? The Packers, or sorry, the Giants have the ultimate, ultimate bend on break defense, I think. Yep. And part of that is because of who we were talking about earlier, Wink Mondale, a veteran coach in this league. And he's done a very good job teaching this defense. Yeah, you know what? You'll let up a big play now and then, but they're not going to end up in the end zone. They're going to have to settle for a field goal. And stuff like that fumble that they forced on Travis Etienne in the red zone. Stuff like the tackle to Kristen Kirk on the basically one-yard line. Like, yep. that's exactly what I'm talking about. They want it, man. They want it. Kayvon Thibodeau on the edge, he is a beast. I, I The one thing I love more than anything about Martindale's defense is that they love to blitz the most unsuspecting player. But the fact that they have Thibodeau means that they don't constantly have to do that. So it's just an overlooming threat that you always have to account for every time you snap that ball. For sure, and the blitzes that Martindale sends normally results in Thibodeau being one-on-one, and Thibodeau one-on-one with most offensive linemen just because of how much a physical specimen he is. It's always a mismatch, it seems like. Like 99% of the time, 
it's a mismatch because he's such like a physical freak. He's fast. He's long. He's very. He can bend really well. Watching that last drive, and him just going at freaking Trevor Lawrence every single drive. I thought he was going to get sacked like two or three times just because. I've seen this kind of play from defensive ends before. Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, JJ Watt. They all have a similar style on the bend and they reach where you don't see that in many standard defensive ends. That that kid's special and he's going to be special for a long time. Oh yeah, that that bet they made by drafting him where they did. It's pulling it's paying off a lot right now. Let's move over to the Texans and Raiders game. Oh, God. <laughs> Definitely not the most interesting game of the weekend. What, what's your main takeaway here? I, I don't think it was – just because these are two teams that, like the Raiders, you know, yeah, okay, cool. They have the talent to be a playoff team, but they, they really don't look like it at all. The game was close. Like, I'm not going to act like it was a boring game. But going into the week, were you like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see Texans against the Raiders. That's a matchup I'm so excited to see. I'll be 100% honest. I was very high on the Texans coming into the season, so I've I've just been generally disappointed with them. But <laughs> That's on you. Uh, I know, I know. I like Davis Mills, so he great Stanford quarterback. But in terms of the Raiders, here's my hot take. They should not have traded for Devontae Adams. They don't need him. They've got a fantastic running game, and they got an established passing game with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, where they were able to nickel and dime the defenses. Devontae Adams, he's been great, but he hasn't made any monumental impacts on this offense the way that we thought he would. We thought Derek Carr would be the next Aaron Rodgers passing him constantly, like dropping Randy Moss-level style play at this point. But that's not what we've been seeing. We've been seeing more of a smash mouth offensive kind of personality where they pass to him when necessary, but not needed. Okay. But let's also not forget, maybe you're right. They shouldn't have passed or they shouldn't have gave up that much for Devonte Adams. Maybe you're right there, but their original plan wasn't to play this smash mouth football that they're playing right now. That was not their original idea. You look at Josh Jacobs and really the overall Raiders run game and how it was doing early in the season compared to now. At first, they were trying to throw the ball a lot more. Then it wasn't working well, and I think you got to blame Carr for that. And now, because that wasn't working, they're resorting to the smash-mouth identity that's working really well. I blame more McDaniels for that kind of situation because McDaniels works with the smash-mouth, and he has – exceeded expectations running with the smash mouth with Tom Brady in the past West coast style smash mouth focusing on the run game to open up the passing game. But that doesn't work. If you try to itemize a certain wide receiver overly importantly, that's why the Patriots wide receivers have never been like that top guy. So now that McDaniels is falling back to his old style of offense, they're finding a lot of success now. Yeah, I, I really thought, like, with how loaded that entire skill group was for the Raiders, they would just be able to have, like, a 30-bomb every game. So I was really surprised when I saw that Josh Jacobs was, like, the star player of this offense. 
But it's working really well. It is working really well. Josh Jacobs is having like, I believe his worst game in the past three weeks was like 130 yards. Yeah, I give him credit. I was very low on Josh Jacobs this season. Well, everyone thought it was going to be a committee. Because of McDaniels. I thought he was going to get traded. (laughs) (laughs) Well, oh, yeah. With the the preseason thing. I, I honestly forgot about that. Oh, man. It's crazy yeah. how this league works. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. We all thought he was going to be traded. But this new identity for the Raiders offense is working. It's working well. It is. And this is the difference between establishing an identity. Granted, it was against the Texans. Mm. Yeah, true. But it's the difference between what the Packers are doing and what the Raiders are doing. Both against very weak defenses. But Raiders have established this identity of run first pass when necessary instead of pass first run when necessary and it's a very different dynamic yeah there's a lot of truth to that let's move over to the Jets against the most disappointing team to most people at least the Broncos in Denver my takeaway here Sauce Gardner shouldn't be held to the standard of high caliber rookie anymore he's making an argument for being the best cornerback overall in the nfl not just for a rookie his technique and his skill i i've been watching his film lately he is very technically sound and he is very precise on every move that he makes i love the way he's playing i say he's going to probably win defensive player of the year for sure defensive player um, not defensive player, defensive rookie. Oh, leader, yeah. My yeah. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. I was going to say, that would be it, – it's not impossible that he wins defensive player of the year, though. With how he's been playing, I don't know if he's the best cornerback in the NFL, but he's definitely making an argument for being up there. I mean, who else has been producing at that kind of level? Like, I think it's between I, him and Sertain. Sertain, right, Sertain. Yeah, I, I think he's been ridiculous. And it's funny, he he was also in this game. Uh, Pat Sertain has been ridiculous. But so is Sauce. I mean, he completely clamped up Cortland all game here. Every receiver gets lost in the sauce, man. That's what people are saying now. What's your <laughs> what's your takeaway here? Um the the Broncos came into this situation with a rebuilding mindset with a coach who wanted to win. The Broncos were not an established offense. It's the same thing with the Ravens defense that I mentioned before. Even with Russell Wilson, Broncos country, let's ride. Even with Russell Wilson, this Broncos offense wasn't ready for him to come in. Last year was the perfect year for a quarterback to come in and establish an offense. Nathaniel Hackett is pretty much a one-off of Freddie Kitchens at this point because he's trying to win with a roster that's not quite ready and a run game that's not established and a passing game that they're not on the same level yet. So the Broncos' offense has been completely garbage. Their defense has been arguably top five in the NFL. One of the least uh, amount of yards rushing allowed, least amount of yards passing allowed. Every game they have is a close game, even though their offense has been abominably bad. While the Jets, they had a lot of hope. Hopefully James Robinson can kind of fill that Brees Hall role a little bit, but with the Brees Hall injury and also the Elijah Vera Tucker injury out for the season, the Jets are going to have a lot more of a bumpy road coming in the future. So I, I want to go back to what you said about the Broncos because I, I actually disagree a decent amount. 
I, I think if Russell Wilson played up to the level that the Broncos clearly thought he would be able to and Javante Williams stayed healthy, this team is absolutely talented, uh, talented enough to make a run. I, I truly do think that. If Russell Wilson was this you know, top seven quarterback in the NFL and Javante Williams was still healthy so that running game would be good, they would be an absolute dominant force. And I stand by that because I think the change at quarterback makes that offense that much better for sure because this offense is very clearly built for the quarterback to, you know, go all out. They have the receivers. The O-line isn't – it's not an amazing unit, but it, it's good. It, like, it's solid. They can get the job done. So if Russell Wilson was this top-tier guy and then Javante Williams was healthy, like everyone expected it to be, I don't understand what would make you think, oh, they have a rebuilding mindset. It's the head coach. In the NFL, when you have a system, we've seen this time and time again, when you add a new head coach to the system, there's a big difference between a head coach that comes into an organization that is ready to win, been in the playoffs, ready to win, have a bunch of loaded weapons and talent, but they don't have that identity versus a team with a head coach. You bring in a new quarterback and you try to integrate it in, but the team already still has an established sense of identity already. Well, I, I, I think that the idea was you bring in Hackett and then you let him bring in Wilson and then they kind of compromise on an offense that works for the two of them. Like they were completely changing the identity of the team for sure. But that doesn't always necessarily lead directly to the team being bad or the team needing to rebuild. That just means it needs to be reworked. No? Yeah, but that's what I'm trying to say is that you you complete – this offense was established beforehand. They had a lot of chemistry to build between Russell Wilson and the players. You also brought in some talent with uh, – you took away Noah Fant and you had a bunch of rookie tight ends come in. That's a big factor as well. The Broncos offense likes to pass the tight ends. But I'd say probably the biggest thing is that Nathaniel Hackett is having issues being the offensive coordinator and also being the game manager like a Frank Wright kind of guy. He is struggling to be in that aspect. So as a result, the Broncos are not running to their full capacity because their offense hasn't been solidified by the head coach, who's also the offensive coordinator. If he passed off the offensive coordinating role to a offensive coordinator, maybe the quarterback's coach, I could see this offense actually starting to roll a little bit, maybe get the running backs actually to do something. But as of right now, Hackett's mindset and Russell Wilson's mindset are clashing on how to run this offense. Well, that's one thing I absolutely agree with you on. Hackett is absolutely horrendous. He, he's been terrible. I mean, I, it's never been so clear a coach is this bad so quickly. Since Freddie Kitchens. Since Freddie Kitchens, yeah, exactly. Same uh, style but even, guy. Even Freddie Kitchens had, like, when he came in halfway through Baker's rookie year, I believe it was, yep. people were optimistic about him, and then he sucked. With him, since week one, we were talking about this coach being terrible. Well, no, Freddie Kitchens – Came in as an offensive coordinator halfway into Baker season, and then he was hired as the head coach for a sophomore year. Oh, it, it was like that. Okay. And that first game, the Browns lost, I think, forty to six against the Titans in the game opener. So I had the timeline a little bit screwed up. Who was the head coach when Kitchens was, was the? Jackson. I was thought Jackson, 
Todd Haley is the offensive coordinator for the first half. Both were fired because they were causing a massive divide. And so, then Greg Williams was the interim head coach. Oh, okay. I thought Greg – okay, that's my fault. I thought that Freddie Kitchens was the interim head coach. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for uh, explaining that. I, I That was a little bit before I got like deep into the NFL. So I actually kind of missed that. It's all good, man. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the super interesting game here. Chiefs at 49ers. I, I want to kind of pick up the pace a little bit because yeah. I do want to get to the week eight uh, predictions. So what's your takeaway from this Chiefs and 49ers game? Uh, 49ers are working McCaffrey and well. The Chiefs offense has become unstoppable with the fact that they can diversify where the ball is going. The running game is working really well, especially with working Hardman as a running back as well. But the 49ers look like a real contender because this is the first time their defense has let up more than 30 points a game and since 2019. So I put a very similar thing for my takeaway. I put the Chiefs have no trouble making big plays without Hill. Guys like Juju and Nicole Hardman stepping up is a big reason why. And I, I said going into the season, one of my big hot takes was that the Chiefs offense – was honestly better with Hill gone because what they lost in terms of quality of one weapon, they made up for in quantity of multiple different guys. So, yeah, sure, they don't have one receiver quite as dominant as Tyreek Hill, but now what they lost in quality, they made up for in quantity. They have Juju. They have McCall Hardman. They have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. These guys... I was going to say they lost Hill at the most opportune time because they lost Hill when defense is starting to adjust for a player like Terry Kill. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, you've been talking about the too high shell and offense is planning more for the deep pass. Yeah, for sure. Them losing Hill, it didn't hurt them much because teams were kind of starting to take advantage of how reliant Mahomes got on Hill. And now Mahomes is learning how to play like a – I don't want to say like a real quarterback, but like a more traditional quarterback. And it's working. It is. Him losing Hill has made, at least him alone, a better player. Because he's learning how to play a more traditional form of the quarterback position. While while also having the game-breaking ability he has. Which is insane. It is incredible. The throws he makes... And again, the, the the crazy thing is he can make those throws and now he's as smart and now he knows how to execute an offense like a Tom Brady, like a Drew Brees. Of course, not quite to that level, but you get my point, like a pocket passer. Yep. On to the Chargers game. I put... Do you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Gino. I thought that you said do you know. That's my fault. Yeah. Uh, uh Seahawks, with Ken Walker at running back, the Seahawks offense is remarkable. And the NFC being as weak as it is, they can definitely be a playoff team. They're the greatest Cinderella story in the NFL right now. Geno Smith was able to fill the role of Russell Wilson to a T because Russell Wilson in that offense is doing the exact same thing that Geno Smith had to do. Pass the ball when necessary, but hand it off. For sure. Uh, uh, it, it's clear he's playing the role perfectly that Wilson used to play. 
The Chargers, on the other hand, uh, their defense has been very disappointing. J.C. Jackson going down doesn't help. Khalil Mack has not been the total threat that he used to be, but hopefully he comes back sooner. Uh, their secondary has been remarkably bad, and their offense has been falling apart besides Eckler, who has been phenomenal as of lately. He's been the he's been what Mike Evans is to the Bucks, where Mike yep. Evans is the only like player playing up to standards. Eckler is the only player playing up to standards for the Chargers. That's and I still wonder is Herbert? Do you think Herbert is struggling so much because of his ribs still bothering him, or what is it? You think rib injuries don't go away, man? Trust me. Every time he throws that ball, he's going to be feeling it a little bit. Yeah, because it, it all started when that rib injury happened, right? Because he was playing at a very high level. Then the rib injury happened, and since then, he has not been the same. Yeah, when you have an injury like that, first of all, you want to protect yourself more so you're not going to be rolling out of the pocket as much. Um, you're going to be more cautious to try to throw it down to the running backs or the tight ends more often. And also, his wide receivers, Mike Williams is hurt. Keenan Allen's been out, so he hasn't really had that deep threat to be consistent with. So it makes sense that he's trying to preserve himself a little bit, which preservation is good for quarterbacks. Please don't go, don't do what Tua did and just lower your head. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all saw how that worked out for him. So now we move on to the Sunday night game, Steelers at Dolphins. Speaking of Tua, what's your main takeaway here? <sighs> um, both offenses aren't the best right now. Both defenses are working pretty well, but the Steelers' offense is struggling to establish a steady passing game with Pickett. Their run game has been next to nothing. Najee Harris has been very ineffective this season. Their offensive line has been abysmal. Um, Dolphins, two is back, so hopefully the passing game starts warming up a bit. I just want that man to protect himself. He lowered his head a few too many times on Sunday night, and I just want to see him start passing the ball more consistently to both Tua, I mean, to both Tyreek and Jalen Waddle to spread the field a little bit more. But it's nice to see Raheem Mostert able to be more effective. So I, I said that Tua and the Dolphins offense need to get back into rhythm because we all we all saw early in the year the Dolphins offense looked incredible. The new system that was put into place by the new head coach. I mean, it worked. It worked well. McDaniel, yeah, and as goofy and as, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word here. As corny as he seemed, he he knows his stuff, and it's a perfect fit. It really is, because Tua is like this. He's a quarterback really built for, like, the West Coast offense. All his strengths are for the West Coast offense, his timing, his quick release. It's built for him to make those throws across the middle. So it's great that McDaniel was able to put an offense around him that could take advantage of those strengths. But now, what the hell happened? Tua's first game back, he dropped 16 against a Steelers defense that doesn't even have their best player. And don't forget the five picks the Steelers defense dropped. Yeah. Part of it is staying away from the offense a little bit. He's been gone for two weeks. He's yeah. got to establish that connection a little bit. Um, they, they have to work back into the rhythm. They gotta, they're got to they trying to protect him a little bit more, which is, I think, hurting the offense. 
And, and that's exactly why I said, like, back to rhythm. There's, yeah. a, there's a reason I didn't say, oh, time to panic on Dolphins' offense. No. We know the Dolphins' offense can be very good. We know they probably will get back to being very good. But it has to be soon because the AFC East is a tight division. All right? The Patriots, I mean, not after after Monday night game, <laughs> Monday night's game, I don't really know, but they seem to be a very legit team. The Jets, even without Brees Hall, should be a legit team, and we all know the Bills. We all know how good the Bills are. So the Bills. The, the Dolphins can't wait to, you know, get it clicking, right? Maybe you yeah. take this week against the Steelers and take it with a grain of salt. Fine. But they need to recover quick because this division is way too tight for them to not get into rhythm quickly. And the Steelers, we we know how bad their offense is. We've known how bad their offense is. So this isn't a really big surprise that they did this poorly. Uh, identity for the Steelers. Yeah. So last game we're going to talk about before we go on break and then try and quickly talk about our predictions for week eight. Again, I, I told you that'd be a little bit over an hour. We're going far over it, it seems like. So I want to, you know, kind of stay true to that promise I made earlier. Uh, so Bears at Patriots, what's your takeaway here? Uh, Bears running game looks fantastic. It looks like they finally got a system that works for Justin Fields. I'd love to see him pass more, but it looks like he's not really able to. He's off 50% of his passes most of the time. But I'm liking the way that they're starting to move in that direction. Patriots, we got a quarterback controversy on our hands. In reality, we don't. It's going to be Mac Jones's team from what it looks like. It's nice to see that Bailey Zapp can fill the role, and hopefully he shouldn't need to because Mac Jones is still probably the more poised passer of the two. But my takeaway here is it, it plays off of what you said for the Patriots. It is a quarterback controversy, or at least we're talking about it, and that's a bad thing because it's not like yeah. Zappy's playing very well. It's because Jones is playing poorly. Zappy was a guy I was high on going into the draft, right? Yep. But Mac Jones should easily run away with this role. He should. And the fact that he's not is really worrying. Yeah. Well, well, you should see Mac Jones start. From what I've been seeing and what the reports have been saying, Mac Jones was only supposed to start the first quarter either way. It just happened. His last pass was an interception, unfortunately. But from the way that I see it is that Bailey Zappi still needs a little bit more refinement before he can actually be like a starter. And until then, Mac Jones should be the guy still. He still knows the offense like the back of his hand. Well, yeah, but the problem is that Mac Jones isn't playing well. And the Patriots offense, it's not exactly loaded on talent. So they need the quarterback to be able to elevate them. The quarterback can't be making stupid mistakes like he was in that Bears game. He can't. If they want to play winning football again, they, they got to step it up, especially Jones. Yeah. Right? And I, I, why do you think it is that that Patriots defense completely underperformed on Monday? It could be a variety of factors. Um, I'd say the biggest thing was just that Justin Fields has a massive running factor. So whenever he was able to pass, he could also run. It's very hard to plan for a quarterback like that. 
But it's, it's, it's just weird because Belichick has established himself as this young quarterback Grim Reaper, even the mobile guys. Yeah. So the fact he just got picked apart like that by Justin Fields, of all people, just caught me off guard. But they ran more than anything. Is that This Patriots defense doesn't look like they can stop the run nearly as well as we thought they could because the Bears ran for almost 250 yards. A lot of that being fields for 147. Yeah. I mean, for some reason, the Bears just picked it up out of nowhere. Maybe just letting fields run loose like they did there is just going to be their plan for the rest of the year. Yep. I mean, hey, they got nothing to lose. The team isn't going to succeed much. if Whether they're on script, off script, doesn't even matter. So we could go on a short break here, uh, and then we'll go on to our week eight picks and predictions for the game we're gonna try and speed it up because again i I don't want to leave you here too long you know uh so you're listening to the goal line podcast we're gonna go on a short break and when you're ready just shoot me a text okay and we are back you're listening to the goal line podcast i am your host patrick cypher i hope that you're all enjoying so far again i still have my guest here and we're going to predict each game of the week eight of week eight, predicting the winners and maybe predicting how the game is going to go, starting with the Thursday night game, Ravens against the Buccaneers. What do you think of this game? Ravens versus the Bucks. We're going to have a heavy running game from the Ravens. Hopefully Mark Andrews is healthy enough to play. We are still iffy on his injury status at the moment. But I would say that I'd give it to the Bucks If we can get Julio Jones back, first of all, if we can get Godwin to be somewhat reliable, Mike Evans to be somewhat reliable, I'm sure Brady is pissed. And this Ravens defensive, as we've talked about in the past, isn't as good as it once was. It's still very uh, chaotic. So I'd give it to the Bucks. Now, I could understand that, right? I also think if you were to go Bucks, the main argument that you didn't bring up is the way that both of these teams win games, or at least the way Tom Brady likes to win games against the way that the Ravens have been losing games. The Ravens have lost way too many games this year by choking big leads. And Tom Brady, as everyone and their mother knows is very, very good at taking leads late in games. With that said, I haven't seen that from the Buccaneers yet this year. The Buccaneers, especially recently, haven't looked very good. And I know this may seem like a get right game for them, right? especially because it's in Tampa Bay. It seems like a get-right game, and I understand that, especially against a weak secondary like we were just talking about. Maybe Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and possibly Julio Jones go wild, right? Very possible. And if the Buccaneers' run defense wants to perform up to the level that we used to see from them all the time, that would also really be beneficial here. It should be a good matchup, but the Buccaneers just – they haven't even showed flashes, man. They lost against the Panthers last week. Again, it would be great for this to 
be a get right game for them. But in prime time against another very talented team, I don't know. I don't think that they could just turn it around on a short week, Thursday night football. It's possible, but I, I don't think they make the change quick enough. If it wasn't a short week, if it wasn't primetime football, I'd go Bucks. I would. But because it is Thursday night football on a short <laughs> week, they have to change so much. I know I sound like a broken record, but that really does change everything. So I'm going Ravens here. Okay. So Broncos at Jacksonville against the Jaguars. Who do you have here? Well, this is in London. Oh, yeah. London this game. One, this is the London game. So this is Jaguars home court now. <laughs> Jaguars are Jaguars are labeled as a home team here. That's why I the said ja- that. The Jaguars play ungodly football in London. Always have because their owner has a lot of stake in London. So I would not be surprised if the Jaguars just went completely off against the Broncos. Jaguars have a pretty underrated defense right now that's able to have a few decent stops against the Broncos offense who, I mean, Russell Wilson's doing high knees down the aisle of the jet. Not sure what that means for his health overall, but I do know that that means he will be playing. So I'd say let's ride with the Jaguars. (laughs) Broncos country. Let's ride. Let's ride. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have to agree here win this game like you said London I honestly that's my fault I didn't look into that it is in London uh and Jacksonville does often do well in London it really comes down to this I'm a big guy on I go off what I see from the team throughout the year right and the Broncos especially offensively have terrible Every game. Every game. The Broncos' defense is very good, for sure. But their offense is so atrocious, so terrible. Uh, I find it difficult to say that they're going to be a team that at least look good at some point this year. And maybe this is a get-right game for Jacksonville. Because after losing to the Giants, I mean, they have to. And they looked really good early in the year. Doug Peterson. He's a established head coach. He doesn't want them to get too caught up in this losing streak. He wants to end it as soon as possible against a weak Broncos offense. Let's get it done. Yeah. I've never seen an offense like the Broncos who have had so many uh, late start penalties, so many false starts. Like They're a very undisciplined offense. I feel like Jacksonville will take advantage of that very much. For sure. Let's move over to the Arizona game against the Vikings. This one is in Minnesota. Yep. Who you got? Uh, I got the Vikings. So I actually have the Cardinals here. Main reason for that is we said it earlier. D-Hop, now we don't know how he'll do against a good secondary or even a mediocre one. But the Vikings is very bad. It has been th- throughout this year. This is going to be another game where D-Hop just pops off. Gets another 
dominates all game. And that's really what it comes down to. I think this could be a high-scoring game, but I have more confidence in Arizona's defense than I do in the Vikings' defense, and that's what this comes down to. Why do you go the Vikings here? All right, so the Vikings have a very unique – well, first of all, addressing your D-hop, the Vikings have a very unique kind of secondary. It's like the uh, Giants' bend, don't break. They are 28th in the NFL for passing yards allowed, but they're 8th in the NFL for receiving touchdowns allowed. That's a major factor here. Um, Another thing is that they still have that great pass rush with uh, Griffin. Darius Smith and Daniel Yeah. Neil Hunter. Yep. But their offense, you got Justin Jefferson, you get who is arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. You have Adam Thielen. He was one of the best wide receivers for the past couple of years up until recently. He was one of the best red zone targets. He had a massive season. He's still a legitimate threat. You have Dalvin Cook. Not as great as he was in previous seasons, but that's because of an offensive shift. But the Vikings are still able to move the ball relatively well and there's a reason that they are five and one the cardinals on the other hand have been struggling to maintain a solid run game when they need to compete when they have a massive lead they'll run the ball into the ground they don't care but when they have to try to stay even or when they have to try to catch up they struggle really hard on offense and i blame kinsbury on that more than anyone i just don't think they'll they'll have to run the ball though in this but particular matchup, I don't think they'll be in a situation where they have to run it. I don't think they'll be able to run it, which will stall them in the early parts. They'll be forced to throw. But the Cardinals haven't been a good coming up from behind team so far this season, except for last week's game. <laughs> well, like I said, last week's game, I think DeAndre Hopkins being in this game, again, I think that's the X factor for this team. I respect that. I respect that. Now, let's talk about two teams that aren't overly relevant, in all honesty, although the Falcons actually do have a pretty solid record, all things considered. Panthers at Atlanta. Who do you got? This will be the fastest game of the week. They're going to be running down each other's throats all game. Um, I'd say probably – the Falcons have a better roster. They have better receiving weapons, even though that they don't use them. Uh, they have a slightly worse running game. I think Chuba Hubbard and Deontay Foreman are better than Tyler Alliger and all the other and uh, Caleb Huntley. And PJ Walker, I think, is a better runner than Marcus Mariota is, and arguably he might mm. be a better passer at this rate. I agree with the passing part. I don't know about the running part though. I, I, I know PJ Walker. Walker. So I know PJ Walker's though. a yeah. PJ Walker with the roughnecks. I'm not gonna deny that he was an absolute animal. But Mariota's a good runner, man. Still he though, I, I think in terms of quarterback, that's about a split. Probably. I mean, I'm probably going Mariota by a bit, but it, it's decently close. I don't think either quarterback is gonna win the game for their team. No, it'll come down to the defense. Um, Panthers have a better pass rush. Falcons have a better run-stopping defense. That's that's as good as I'd put it, because the Falcons aren't good at defending the pass. We saw that last week with the Bengals game. Um, 
but the Panthers are really good at coming at that uh, quarterback. So if it turns out to be a shootout, I'd say the Panthers are going to probably win this. If it's a run, if it's just a tumble down run game, I'd have to give it to the Falcons. So I'm leaning Atlanta for this one. I really think just the fact they have home field advantage is enough for me to say Atlanta. <laughs> and Arthur Smith, I have more confidence in him as a head coach. So it really just comes down to that. This is one game I think both teams are going to play sloppy football. It's going to be about who takes advantage of the opportunities more. And because I actually have a decent amount of faith in Arthur Smith as a head coach, I'm taking them and the fact they're at home. Oh, yeah. Arthur now, Smith's coach. Yeah, for sure. Now, I have no idea why you would pick the Bears here, but Bears against Cowboys. How do you have this going? Uh, Zeke's hurt. That's a big factor. So the Cowboys aren't going to be at their full health at running game. That might have some influence. Bears just traded Robert Quinn, so they're not going to have as good as a pass rush as they had against the Patriots. That's another big factor. I would pick the Cowboys just strictly because they can pass. It is that simple. Chicago really is incapable of throwing a football, aren't they? They can pass, and the Cowboys are really good at stopping the run. I just don't – if it's a close one, if, God forbid, it's a close one, I don't think the Cowboys can run down the clock. That would be my only – like. My only asterisk is that without Zeke, Tony Pollard is great. He's a great outside runner. He's not as great in between the tackles. Zeke is more of the power back in between the tackles. They don't have that at the moment. Like, listen, okay, upsets can always happen, right? Yeah. 100%. But. It's the Cowboys. Fields isn't a really good thrower. And I don't think they're going to have as much success running the ball with him as they did against the Patriots last week. Yeah. And this defense that the Cowboys have, I mean, if you're the Bears offensive coordinator, if you're Luke Getze, what are you doing? What's your plan here? I don't know. What are you supposed to do? Do you think yeah. you're going to be able to win some matchup with one of your wide receivers? Well, your wide receivers suck. So, no. The only Do you think you're going to be able to loot, to run it with Fields? I don't think that's going to work overly well. You could try just running up the middle with Montgomery, but even that. I'd, I'd run up with Herbert more than I would run up with Montgomery, just to be well, honest. Well, I, I think either way. This defense is a scary unit. I don't know what the Bears have to take advantage of. I just know that Dak didn't look fantastic against the Lions, one of the worst defenses in the league. Yeah, it was his first game back. But yeah, I, 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 but I, I'm talking about more Chicago's offense here. I don't know what Chicago's offense will do. I wouldn't be surprised if Chicago doesn't score a point. I'd say Chicago at least scores one touchdown, whether it be – off a mistake off Dallas, or Fields decides, hey, I'm going to try to make a cohesive drive. They have some decent wide receiving talent. They got Mooney. They got Komet. Unfortunately, they got Bayless Jones. He's been terrible, but he is somebody. Yeah. Like, I I look at it more as not necessarily that Chicago is so bad. It's more of the mixture 
of Dallas being so good defensively and Chicago being as bad as they are. Yeah, that will be the deciding factor right there. If Chicago can something to take advantage of with the Cowboys defense and the Cowboys can't make an adjustment, sure, maybe it's a game. But I just don't know what that would be. We just need Dallas to score. That is the big thing. (laughs) Yeah. Raiders against the Saints in New Orleans. Who do you got? Andy Dalton starting this game. It's already been confirmed that. um, I think that's the right decision, though. It is the right decision. Because I I don't think Andy Dalton's dropping another uh, two-pick six in less than a minute game. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully not. If he he does, I expect him to be at McDonald's worker by the end of the week. Um, I'd give it to the – I'm going with the Saints. Just because the Saints, they have an expansive run game with Kamara and Ingram, kind of. They have the wide receiver court somewhat, but they have uh, Chris Olave. Andy Dalton's been really good as a pocket passer and moderating the entire offense. And Taysom Hill is just so damn unstoppable, man. Yeah, and it's really interesting with Taysom Hill because the second you see him in the game, you know what's going to happen. He doesn't throw it often. Like, it's not a common thing that he throws the football. So uh, it always surprises me how it seems like even the defenses know that, oh, yeah, Taysom's going to run the ball. And then he still picks them apart. It's always so interesting how that happens. And I, I get it. He's like a big guy. I'm surprised they never really line him up at running back and give him the ball. Like, I know they have in the past, but they should do it more often. Yeah. Um, I know looking at his – I did a video on this a long time ago, but snap percentage-wise, he had, I think, a 25% snap share from running back, 12% from quarterback. 25, huh? From like the past season, yeah, I I know it was I know it wasn't this year, but still, I I don't I definitely seen him take snaps at running back, but I you, it's very rare you see a Taysom Hill running back dive. Well, but I always, feel like that's something they haven't done once this year, and they, I I'm surprised yeah. they haven't because it seems like it would work. The way they would orient it as either setting him up as a wildcat and putting the quarterback up at center, or they would put both quarterbacks next to each other so you didn't know who the ball was coming to. They haven't done that much this year, but they're also running a pretty different offense this year. Well, Sean Payton's gone. Yeah. So a lot of the creative stuff that made New Orleans' offense so dangerous is gone, which is part of the reason, at least early in the season, they were failing horribly to do much offensively. But anyway, I got the Raiders. I do. And – it's mainly because I think Josh Jacobs is going to have another game. I think he's going to have another incredible game. And that's because New Orleans run defense hasn't been up to par with what it has been for the past, like, three years. Yeah. New Orleans run defense, I wouldn't say it's, like, a huge weakness, but it isn't strong. I wouldn't even say it's average. This game has the potential to be a shootout, which I'm It, it, it probably will be. Neither defense uh, is really good. Yeah. And both offenses match up well against the opposing defense, for sure. They do. 
I, I would it, will, it will be an interesting game. I, I am excited for this. These are two decently uh, evenly matched teams. New Orleans is a big deal here, but I, I'm i going Raiders just because I think that Josh Jacobs is just going to have an absolute game. I think he's going to absolutely ball out this week, even more than he has the past three weeks. I think he's going to have his best game of the season. I do. Because it's all just been building up. It's all, he's only built upon each performance. And again, I can do Saints here. I, they both make sense. Both offenses match up well against the opposing defense, but I'm going Raiders. And they need to win. They need to yeah. win. They they have they have, they just have higher expectations than the Saints. And that's part of the reason. Now, let's move over to the Miami game against Detroit. In Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you're thinking what well, I'm thinking. Who you got? Uh, Jeff Akuda is the strongest cornerback for the Lions. Well, he's been performing pretty good this season so far. He he can't cover two wide receivers at the same time. This Lions pass rush has been non-existent. This Lions linebacker core has a rookie as their star player. He's been doing pretty well. And this Lions offense without DeAndre Swift, because we don't know if he's actually going to be back this week or not. Their wide receiver core, DJ Charks on IR, Amon Ross St. Brown, he is supposed to come back, but we're not sure entirely on his health right now. This game has a real good chance of being very ugly for Detroit. Now, I find it interesting that you mentioned the Jeff Akuda being their best cornerback, and he has to guard both Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, or at least they have to somehow find a way to guard both of them. Uh, but I, I just want to say, for some reason in the Steelers game, despite Akella Witherspoon being their best corner, Tyreek Hill didn't have like some spectacular game. That's because they ran – they were running a two-high or a three-high safety for a majority of that game. They were not giving him the deep ball. They kept forcing him to run underneath routes and then try to get yards that way. Yeah, but he, even then, you would think that he would have done a lot underneath. I, I thought he would have been able to do a lot of damage underneath, especially after the catch, too. But we didn't really see it much. So I wonder, do you think Detroit might just do the same thing Pittsburgh did in order to stop Tyreek or no? Ah. Uh... I don't see it just because Detroit Detroit's been very decent against not very decent, but they've been decent against the run this season. So that, that's a major factor to take into consideration. So they're gonna yeah. be passing a lot more. That that's fair. And yeah, that that's probably a fair point there. I, I just thought that that was an interesting thing to look at because I thought Tyreek Hill was going to run wild against Pittsburgh, and then he didn't, and I was extremely surprised. So now I'm not really sure when Tyreek Hill is going to have one of those big games and when defenses are just going to absolutely lock him up. Uh, I'm. It's a totally great point to bring up. It's, but I also have to bring up the fact that Pittsburgh's secondary with uh, Minka Fitzpatrick still in the backfield. Yeah, that's the big difference. I was going to say. It's very tough to pass downfield with Mika in the middle. As a Browns fan, I know twice a year you can't pass down the middle with Mika. 
for sure. And Detroit has no one like that. Detroit safeties are not even close to Minka's level. No. Uh, but yeah, I have Dolphins here too. I don't really understand how you can debate a case for Detroit. I don't. Unless Tua just absolutely sells the game, which I think if he sells that bad, they put Bridgewater in. Uh, because, And I'm not like dissing Tua. I'm just saying yeah. the only way Miami loses this game is if Tua just plays absolutely horrendously. Or just something goes terribly wrong. Patriots at Jets. Who do you have? Ooh. I would roll with... I'm rolling with the Patriots. Same. Because the Jets Jets have been fantastic this season. But they lost their star running back. And are bringing in a new guy. He needs to get integrated. It's going to be a little bit of a rough patch for this week. They lost their starting left guard, Elijah Barrett Tucker, for the season. Replacing him is going to be a pain. Um, Defensively-wise, they've been really good on defense. Not as good stopping the run, though. What are the Patriots really good at this season? Running the ball. (laughs) The Patriots don't have to pass to beat the defense. And the fact that Sauce Gardner can't cover every wide receiver is a big issue for the Jets. If so, you're the Jets defensive coordinator, you gotta put you gotta go man on man with uh Sauce Gardner, right? Yeah. And you're playing against the Patriots. Who are you like most worried about in that Jacoby receiver? Myers. Jacoby Myers. Think? He is he gets, I think, six to eight targets every game at minimum. He doesn't yeah, get it's him, but, but Parker's like the big play guy that you're kind of worried about. I think I don't think Sauce Gardner's going to stay on one guy all game. I think this is going to be the first game from him that we see him like switch repeatedly. Yeah, but for Devontae uh, Parker, I'd at least put a safety over high on top of him. Just take out that deep threat. But he, for sure, you got to go Patriots here. I agree. I don't think it's like 100%, but I, I agree Patriots. My reason is a bit different, and it's because of the Patriots' defense, which I talked about it during the Bears section, how Belichick has this reputation of just absolutely embarrassing young quarterbacks, like quarterbacks in their first or second year. Zach Wilson's a second-year guy. He's just going to be in his nightmares all game. All game. The Jets haven't actually had to rely on Zach Wilson a bunch either, which is their big thing. Like, but now that Hall's gone, they have to. That that's what and I mean. Eliza Vera Tucker. <laughs> like, that's the big difference. If Brees Hall was healthy, it's easy to say Jets. Yeah. Or no, not just Brees Hall. If Eliza Vera Tucker was healthy or Brees Hall, it's I easy mean, to I'm say good. Jets. Yeah, but because it's both of them, and Eliza Vera Tucker is the big reason that that Jets run game has been so good. With him gone, that hurts. Those like, I, I like Michael losses. Carter. I think Michael Carter is able to fill the role that Brees Hall played decently well. Not to a perfect level, but he's able to play well enough. Eliza Vera Tucker being gone, it's it's not as easy to replace him. And I'm not trying to say that's easy to replace I'm just saying I like Michael Carter. I don't like the... Jets replacement for Elijah Vera Tucker. I'm not even sure who it is. I don't even think that they know who's replacing Elijah Vera Tucker yet. Um, 
look. You're looking into it? Yeah. Uh, as of right now, they have Lincoln Tomlinson. And well, he's Nate, the left. Uh, Nate, Nate Herbig. Yeah. Oh. Lincoln Tomlinson's good, but Nate Herbig. Guys, that's going to be the key player for, for the Jets. That's who they're going to rely on for their run game now. Nate Herbig. Has this gonna be gonna be a household name by the end of the week? Oh, you're gonna hear that name. I'm, I'm sure you will. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to the next game. This this game's gonna be a blowout. I I really don't. Eh, I mean, no. Pittsburgh has a tendency to kind of like play out the competition sometimes, but still, you got to go Eagles. It's in Philly too. The Battle of Pennsylvania. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm rolling with Philly just because they have a multi-dimensional offense and a very stout defense that just added a top 15 pass rusher. And that that was their weakness defensively too, their pass rush. Or is it even – I don't even know if weakness is the right word, but that was like where they weren't absolutely dominating teams, their yeah. pass rush. Now that they brought him, Quinn in, that, that was such a big deal. They've, they've got a secondary of ball hawks against a quarterback that likes to throw interceptions. And they got a stout linebacking core that likes to stop the run. So that takes out Kenny Pickett and Najee Harris. I mean, not that Najee Harris could even be a threat anymore, but, yeah, but with that offensive line, I mean, Harris only, has been irrelevant all week, all year. The only chance Pittsburgh has – is if their defense can hold Jalen Hurts in the pocket. Even that. I, I You think Akella Witherspoon and Cameron Sutton could stop A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith? I doubt it. Yeah. You think? I, I don't think so. I mean, they got Minka Fitzpatrick to stop big plays, sure, but... I don't think – I think Philly is going to march down the field. I don't think they're going to do it through, like, one big play, but they're going to make these repeated, you know, seven-yard gains, whether it's through the air or running the ball, which I think they'll be able to do either. Pittsburgh's and, a little bit scrappy. I will always say that. And Yeah, no, uh, Pittsburgh yeah. has a tendency, especially for some reason – just randomly, when they're playing against these really good teams, sometimes they just want to make the game close. Sometimes. They just do it. I don't know why. It's just been a thing since Mike Tomlin became the head coach. And that's part of, like, his ideology. And they got Brian Flores as the D coordinator. He's no one to laugh at when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, that's the identity of this team. They'll they'll fight hard sometimes. Yeah. And this is one of the games where they might fight very hard, but I, I maybe Pittsburgh keeps it close, but I don't think they win it, do they? They might cover the line. I'm not sure they'll win, though. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe they keep it close, but Philly's going to win it. Yeah. Imagine if Pittsburgh hands Philly their first loss of the season. Oh, we'd never hear the end of it. Oh, absolutely not. Titans at Texans. <laughs> Um, we've talked about this in the past. Titans can't pass the ball, and their defense has a couple of holes in it. 
the Texans. The Texans might pull a, cl- a quick one out on the Titans this week. Damian Pierce is a great runner. Yeah. He's been great so far this season. The Texans have Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks as their two primary wide receivers. Brandon Collins, I mean Brandon Cooks, has been getting a ton of targets every day. Well, not every game. And I could definitely see the Texans pulling a quick one out on the Titans on this one, especially if the Titans are forced to pass, which they can't. Really. I can see an upset here, right? Like, it's absolutely a possibility. It always is. The Texans' passing is not terrible either. Like, they have Derek Stingley, who has been pretty decent at cornerback this season so far. I mean – you could have anyone out there at corner against the Titans. They're they're not a threat to throw the ball. We talked about this. I just – do you think anyone in that Texans front can consistently bring down Derrick Henry? Like that's yeah. really that's really what it comes down to, man. Even if Tannehill can't throw for a lot of yardage, this is just one of those games where they just don't need to. They just don't they, need to. They don't have frick. They got Christian Kirksey. He's not the best, but he's a decent fill-in guy. Um, they do have. Uh, I'm gonna screw up this name. Okoronkwo. He's a defensive lineman. He's been pretty decent in the league so far uh, for the past couple seasons. But I'm not entirely sure that this defense can hold Derrick Henry for a ton, but I'm sure they can stuff him a couple times needed. Mm, I don't know. I haven't seen the Texans do enough against good uh, running the ball for me to say that the Texans are going to win here just because Derrick Henry. Like, yeah, the Titans can't throw the ball. I get that, but I don't think they're going to need to. And although I think the Texans will score a couple of times, I don't think it will be enough. So I'm going Titans. Although I do, I do respect you for going for the upset there. Well, yeah, we can't go the favorite every time. <laughs> oh yeah, well I, I've been trying not to. I mean, what do you want me to do? Pick the Bears over to the Cowboys? Like the Bears. <laughs> a, a couple of these games are close. A lot of them, and I, I think the closest one. This one, this one is probably game of the week, in my opinion. You got the Giants against the Seahawks. I think it's definitely one of the games of the week. I love this game. Who do you have? Well, this is the only game this week where we have two teams with a winning record facing each other, first of all. Is it really? It is. Wow, you're right. It is the only game where we have Two teams with winning records facing each other. The Giants and the Seahawks. <laughs> it's wow. It's going to be two very different offenses taking hits at two very different defenses. Because the Giants are a very run-heavy team with a very bend-don't-break offense. I mean, defense. And the Seahawks are Absolutely pretty balanced. That Gino's been one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league so far, surprisingly. All the props to him. But the Seahawks defense, they've been pretty damn good. They've been underrated and they've been their cornerback 
has been fantastic this season. The rookie? Oh, yeah, Tariq Woolen. Yeah, he's been fantastic this season. I could see an ridiculous shootout with this one between Saquon Barkley and Kenneth Walker. Don't forget, this is the battle of the former – I'm trying – what's the best way to say this? This is the Eli Manning got benched for me bowl right here between Geno Smith and uh, it's, Daniel it's Jones. It's the the present. Yeah. It's the Cinderella versus – I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say – uh, you might be reaching with that one. They're, they're both, is both of these guys. It's just interesting. Both these guys, Eli Manning got benched for at some point. Yeah. Still though, really interesting game. Really interesting. But it seems like you're avoiding something. Who do you got winning it? Most important thing. I have the Giants winning it. Really? Yeah. I, I think the Giants defense – will be able to hold the Seahawks passing offense better than the Seahawks running defense will be able to handle Saquon Barkley. That that's decently fair. I, I get that. But as much as the Giants or or as much as the Seahawks are gonna struggle to stop uh Saquon, the Giants are gonna struggle to stop Kenneth Walker. I have the Seahawks here. And the reason for that is because the Giants only have one game all year where they dropped more than 25 points. Yeah, The Giants' defense has been very good. They've been very good at that, at, you know, stopping teams from scoring touchdowns. And they've been really good at limiting teams to field goals. And they've been pretty good at forcing turnovers. But... The Seahawks offense is nothing to scoff at. If they just get to a solid 27, 30 points, I don't think the Giants have the firepower to keep up. I'm just looking at Because they haven't yet. I'm looking at the stats right now in terms of uh, what the defense has let up. The Seahawks let up over 400 yards a game. The Giants slid really? up about 350. I, I know that the Seahawks' uh, defense has been somewhat underperforming. But the, the thing is, too, right? The Seahawks, they won't have to worry about the passing game much. No. At, like, at all. Because the Giants' receivers are not good. Well, and also- Tariq Willen, you won't have to give Tariq Willen safety help especially against this group of corners. They could just focus on stopping Saquon. Meanwhile, the Giants, they're going to have to worry about stopping Kenneth Walker in the run game. And then if DK Metcalf is healthy, who do they have that can physically compete with him? They don't have anyone. And then Tyler Lockett, too. There's just more problems on the Seahawks' offense than there is on the Giants' offense. Yeah, my only reservation, though, is on the Seahawks' defense. Both their starting D tackles are currently questionable to play on that, on Sunday. So that, that might have 
somewhat of a negative influence on stopping that run. Oh, yeah. No, listen. Yeah. Saquon's still going to have a good game for yes. sure. But the thing is, Saquon is the entire Giants offense. Yes. And because of that, they struggle to score much more than 20 points in a game. Oh, yeah, the, the Giants' way of winning games is that they run the ball and they kill the clock. The Seahawks try oh. to extend the clock as much as they can because that's how they score as many points as they can. For sure, but they could play the other style of football. They're extremely willing to do that because Kenneth Walker is so good. Yep. So I, I have the Seahawks here just because I think that they score just enough that the Giants can't keep up with their pretty – I don't want to say it's a one-dimensional offense because they're they're able to execute this offense in a very unique way where they're still just repeatedly feeding Saquon, but they do it in so many different ways. To call it one-dimensional is not giving them enough credit. Yeah. Because it's definitely not predictable. Saquon will get the ball. Saquon will kill you. But he doesn't in so many different ways. So it's unpredictable. I, I just struggle to think that the Giants can keep up. It will be. I still weak. This game could yeah. absolutely go either way, though. Yeah. I now, mean, 49ers, 49ers at Rams. This will be an ugly for? game. Probably. Uh, we got Van Jefferson returning for the Rams, which is a big thing. Although he's uh-huh. been underutilized his entire career. Well, he was popping off last season before he got injured. But. 49ers, we're going to see more of uh, CMC. Oh, definitely. We should should see a lot more of the integrated run game with Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, and Brandon Ayuk all rotating along with Jeff Wilson. Mm -hmm. And being able to run will open the pass more, so you'll see a lot more of George Kittle this game as well. My issue with the Rams is that they don't have a run game right now. Cam Akers has been pretty much off the team for the past couple weeks. And Darrell Henderson, he's been okay, but he is not nearly as good as Cam Akers was when he was the primary back last season. They also have a terrible offensive line, the Rams. They do. They, they lost three key components last season, one to retirement, and after that they haven't been able to recover. Yeah, uh, it's been really bad. I think Nick Bosa goes. Yeah, that, that so 49ers you- defensive line. So you have 49ers, right? I have I have 49ers by a wide margin. I agree. I think Garoppolo will th- throw like two picks and they still win by a large margin. Just yeah. because the Rams, it's Cooper Cup and then no one. No one oh. else. They yeah, they don't got anything else. That's why Allen Robinson's been underperforming. Van Jefferson coming back is big, but I, at least this year, or I guess Van Jefferson was hurt. But late last year, this year, just overall recently, Van Jefferson hasn't done much. And I fail to see him as like this X factor that I know he can be, but I haven't really seen him be. Uh, Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson is terrible. In all honesty. He'll be a nice wide receiver three. <laughs> Will he though? I mean, they paid him too much for that to be the standard. But can he even be that? Do we know? 
Well, he's been doing better than Galladay right now, which that's all. That's is all. that the bar? Is the fact that that's the bar is so bad for that price tag? That is the bar. Uh, they are getting paid around the same amount, just a suck, huh? Yeah. Listen, yeah, the 49ers win this in a sloppy game where the Rams are just even more sloppy. Washington. Yeah. Washington at Indianapolis. Who do you have? Carson Wentz's revenge game. We know he's not even playing. Yeah, Sam Bellinger versus Taylor Heineke. Everyone's favorite quarterback matchup of the week. I got commanders. You got Heineke? I got Heineke runs this offense well. They rally well against, or they rally well with him. The Colts have been struggling heavily with their offensive line, and they got to figure out how to run an offense with a quarterback that's never played a snap of NFL football yet. Yeah, I got to agree. Listen, there's a thing I talk about often called the quarterback two theory, right? Yep. Where. A quarterback, this is the first time you see him, and quarterback is such a tendency-reliant position. And defenses in the NFL prepare just for a particular quarterback. If Foles comes in halfway through the game, the Colts win. I don't know if they have the balls to do that, but if Bellinger plays really bad in this first half and Foles comes in, the Colts will win this game. Mark my words. I just don't know if that will happen. Why am I saying this as if it's like a big uh, idea? Because I just have I, – I kind of had this gut feeling ever since Nick Foles signed with the Colts. Foles is going to get some playing time at some point this year, whether it's because of an injury to Bellinger, whether it's because Bellinger sucks. He will get some playing time. Maybe it will be in this game. Maybe. And I, I know that this is kind of off topic because I'm talking about a hypothetical situation with what is already a very weird situation, but I don't know. I have this gut feeling. Still, though, if he doesn't come in, I got Washington, like I said, because like you said, Bellinger hasn't played. They're going to be able to watch film on him, and he's just going to be figured out right away. Uh, is Jonathan Taylor active for this game? Do we know? As of right now, yes. He is off the injury report. Okay, so that's big for them. But it's, still, even with that, I this game comes down to Heineke versus whoever the Colts quarterback is, whether it will be Bellinger. I just said Bellinger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whether it's Ellinger or Foles, that's the difference here. And again, I, I still think Foles might get in at some point this year. Yeah, but if it is Ellinger, if it is Ellinger the entire week, the entire game, Heineken wins it. And yeah. that's what this game comes down to. I do think this is it's weird though coming down to the quarterback is the one where it's fucking Sam Ellinger against Taylor Heineke. Now, next, a game that I everyone thought would be a game between two juggernauts, but it turns out it's just one juggernaut versus a not-so-juggernaut. Packers at Buffalo. You it's got Buffalo, right? It's two juggernaut quarterbacks, I will say that. Um, well, I don't I, – I talked about Rodgers earlier. 
Yeah. And you know what I think of him. And that's probably just bias, but. I do have the Bills, but I do think that Rodgers might be able to pull a sneaky one while the Bills cornerbacks are still kind of iffy at the moment. With what receivers, though? He doesn't have the receivers to take advantage. If he can use Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs in the correct manner, or if, hey, they rely on Aaron Jones at wide receiver like we've been asking him to. Like he should. There is opportunity for speculation. But I do have the Bills. Josh Allen has been MVP quality quarterback. Stephon Diggs has been, I think, the he's second in the NFL for receiving yards at the moment, which is fantastic. Um, the only issue the Bills have on their offense is the running game, where Devin Singletary has been average, which on most NFL teams, that's all you could ask for. But for the Bills, it comes out as looking below average. Yeah. I mean, listen, man, there's not much I can say that you didn't already say. The Bills just have them outmatched. The Packers haven't been playing good football. The Bills are arguably the best team in the NFL. And there's not much reason to think that there would be an upset here. The Packers aren't just going to randomly flip a switch and start playing like the team that they're supposed to be. And even if they were, the Bills are probably better than that. So I easily take the Bills here. The Packers, like I said, they're not even, like, average. They're legitimately bad. So let's talk about the last game, Monday Night Football, Cincinnati Bengals at Cleveland Browns. Who do you Halloween got? night. Halloween night, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a scary time for a Browns fan. I do not have the Browns doing well. Um, offensively, we've been very stagnant. We can't really pass the ball. Nick Chubb's been doing fantastic, but he's been his carries have been cut in half as of the last couple of weeks. No clue why. Our offense has been extremely questionable over the past couple of weeks. Our defense is starting to come around a little bit, but we still could not beat a peewee football team if we tried. And the Bengals have a receiving core where the third wide receiver could be the starter on half the NFL teams right now. Including the Browns. Including the Browns. The Tyler Boyd, as the wide receiver three for the Bengals, we saw last week, he could legitimately be a wide receiver one for half the NFL teams right now. And that's – the Browns' cornerback core can't keep up with that. Our pass rush has been non-existent. I – this might be the first time that Joe Burrow loses – I mean, Joe Burrow wins against the Browns. Well, I don't think might. It definitely will. I, I mean, listen, the the Browns have Chubb, so that's always a good thing, right? Chubb, that's always a big edge. And the Bengals aren't too good. I mean, I know they have a good run defense. Are they, like, near the top of the league, though? I'm not overly sure. I do know that. Chubb is a ridiculous runner, even if the Bengals have one of those top run defenses. Still, run the ball. What else are you going to do? Throw it with Brissett? 
I think Amari Cooper could have a decent game. But overall, I think that the Bengals win this game, right? Yeah, so I just looked up. Cincinnati is 19th in rushing yards allowed per game. So Chubb, but even with that, the Bengals are going to the Bengals are going to win. Yeah, it may be close. It may be close. But I, I still think the Bengals, like you said, just have such a talented receiving core. And the Browns' defense hasn't been too great. No, no. It, the Browns' defense has been a weak focal point. And it, it's the reason why we are probably one of the worst teams in the NFL at the moment. Because we can't keep up defensively. And our offense is just barely getting by. So. All right. Thank you for coming on. This is actually the first two hour long episode of the podcast. Crazy. I was not expecting that on that at all. But again, glad you came on. I'm very happy. I actually got my first two hour podcast up. How, how do you feel with this entire thing? You, you glad you did it? I'm I'm very happy I did this, man. It was an honor being on this podcast. I absolutely love talking sports and talking uh, football and all these stats. It's all I do in my free time anyway. So being able to just discuss it with someone, hash out ideas, it is a fantastic uh, opportunity for me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, again, I'm happy to do stuff like this in the future with you. I'm hoping that we continue to, you know, work together as two content creators on this app. Yeah, of course. Uh, And again, if you guys like listening to this, Zach Talks Football on TikTok. And then what's your uh, Twitter? Uh, Twitter is Zach underscore talks and Instagram is Zach dot talks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it was just Zach Talks. I said Zach Talks Football. That's my bad. It's nearly midnight. So, you know, maybe I'm a little bit off with my speech. Uh, But then if you want more of my content, at no huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. That is at no huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at no huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for coming on, Zach. And I'll see you all next week. Thank you for having me.